Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 888 with Hans Lutman. It's just kind of focusing on the on the golden goose, you know, making sure that we're taking care of the facility, taking care of the restaurant physically, um, all the components of it, and then just taking care of one another. And that's that first level of care that we really love to dive into from from the moment we all walk in the door, treating one another with respect and kindness and being kind and having an uplifting and inspiring uh, pre-shift. And once we get that up into the air and the facility's ready to go and, and our team is connected, then really getting to take care of the guest is a byproduct of, the, of all of that. Are you ready for it? Factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Today's episode is brought to you by Margin Edge. With Margin Edge, you can track food and labor costs in real time so you can make informed decisions in the moment. And who likes data entry? No one. So you'll be thrilled to hear that there's no more data entry with Margin Edge. They will save your team hours and paperwork by automating your invoice processing with line item detail. Don't worry about tech integration either because Margin Edge allows you to seamlessly connect your POS and accounting systems and get a daily P&L. And on top of all of this, Margin Edge enables you to digitally manage your inventory and recipes. Plus, you can compare actual costs versus theoretical costs. Head to marginedge.com slash unstoppable to sign up for a free demo. And when you use that link, you can try Margin Edge for free for 30 days. No contract, no setup fee. Plus, you'll get free unlimited training and support. That's marginedge.com slash unstoppable. Today's episode is brought to you by Chow Now, a commission-free online ordering system and food ordering app helping restaurants feed their hungry customers. Over 20,000 restaurants trust Chow Now for their online ordering, and this is because Chow Now helps their restaurants keep their profits, own their online experience, meet their customers everywhere, and make every diner a regular. With Chow Now, take unlimited commission-free orders through Chow Now's app and site, and there are no setup fees or monthly payments. And what I really love about Chow Now is that you get to own your customer data. This is something not all third-party ordering apps can claim. And when you schedule a demo, don't forget to ask about leveling up with Chow Now Direct, Chow Now's comprehensive online ordering and marketing package. Because you are Restaurant Unstoppable listeners, you can enjoy 30% off the Chow Now Direct annual plan. Sign up today at chownow.com slash unstoppable. That's chownow.com slash unstoppable. Now, I know you know about Plate IQ, but do you know about Plate IQ's new spend management feature? Okay, let me tell you about it. Plate IQ now offers a new spend management feature, which allows you to issue virtual or physical cards directly with Plate IQ card. With Plate IQ card, there's no credit check, no minimum bank balance, and no personal guarantee required. This feature is great for small restaurants who want to eliminate expense reporting for their employees, but cannot get a corporate credit card issued easily. And I've got to tell you that with Plate IQ card, you can get up to 1% cash back. And you cannot forget that Plate IQ still offers bill pay, incredible insights, and custom approval workflows. To learn more, head to plateiq.com slash unstoppable. And when you use that link, you can save 25% off implementation. 
With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, managing partner at Rosso Blue and Superfine Pizza, Hans Lutman. Hans, are you feeling unstoppable today? I am feeling unstoppable. Yes, Thank man. You. I'm super psyched to have you here. We just finished talking to your, your business partner, Dina, and she said nothing but great things about you. That's why you're here today to, to dive into your story, to find yeah. out how you got to where you are today. But let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? Oh, great. That's uh, Thank you, Eric. Really, really great to be here. I, You know, I, I always tell the team let's take care of the restaurant let's take care of one another and then we get to take care of the guest take care of the restaurant take care of one another then take care of the guests i love that dive into why that resonates with you um it's just uh it's just this circle of care um that we've established that's been really um successful for us and it's just kind of focusing on the on the golden goose you know making sure that we're taking care of the facility taking care of the restaurant um you know, physic physically, um, all the components of it, uh, and then just taking care of one another, and that's that first level of care that we really love to to dive into from from the moment we all walk in the door, treating one another with respect and kindness, and being kind and having an uplifting and inspiring uh, pre shift, and um, and once we get that up into the air, and the facility's ready to go, and and our team is connected. Uh, then really getting to take care of the guests is a byproduct of, the, of all of that. Yeah, I love that. And I just recently had David Dressler, one of the co-founders of Tender Green on the show. Yeah. And um, he was talking about when they were first getting started, uh, they all agreed. The first that every partner that was established with that group said, hey, we take we take care of the business. The, biz, the restaurant comes first, yeah. right? That's the one thing we can all agree on that we put the restaurant for, first collectively. And I love how you extend that to the greater team yeah. uh, it's the restaurant then each other because the restaurant's our baby we're here for the restaurant right if we're here for the our restaurant if we take care of our baby it will take care of us and we take care of the guests right yeah. Yeah. i love that what what goes through your mind as i say that i'm sorry what goes through your mind as i say that well what, what what's exciting about it is that um what what happened is in the first probably six months we we had that as our mantra and we were working on that and then you start to see that circle of care extend out into the guest into the fabric of the guest into their experience of the restaurant um i had a wonderful wonderful gentleman um raleigh who wrote me um a handwritten letter about his experience here and um he just felt cared for. He felt an ethos. It was a feeling that, that he had, and he hadn't had it in many restaurants. And um, so he alluded to it in this beautiful handwritten note. And then I just realized, like, wow, this thing of taking care of one circle, then we get the next circle, like a tree growing, you know, and then we get the fabric of the uh, guest experience. And then that reached out right into the community, which was extraordinary, Eric, because uh, all of a sudden we, we, we started being able to uh, make an impact um, on, our, on our, our community. I love that, man. A great way to get this thing started. So where does it make sense to start sharing your story? Starting my story. Your story. Okay. Yeah, where does your story Well, start? my story is uh, um, kind of all over the place. I, I grew up in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Um, my parents are both from Guatemala. Uh, we, we always had this, this opportunity to return to Guatemala, but, you know, my parents fell deeply in love with this, this country um, and with the community in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and around there. Um, we were able to get educated there. Uh, I w- went to University of Michigan. Um, my hope was always to be in the arts 
And um, so I followed that to New York and to Los Angeles and to, um, you know, a few other stops along the way. Uh, but the, the backbone of my earning was always in the hospitality business and the restaurant business. And, and if I'm going to be completely honest with you, Eric, like I, I had a lot of resentments <laughs> along the way with restaurants um, really? and the way they were run. I wasn't one of these people, and, and I've heard them on your podcast, and I deeply admire them, who kind of had a siren call to be in the restaurant business from a young age. Um, I was just looking for a way to get by, and I was good at it. Um, it wasn't until years and years later where I started to deeply, deeply appreciate uh, the opportunities that were afforded to me, the talent in this business that I was able to be around and that literally kept me afloat. I, I'm grateful for um, these gutsy entrepreneurs who got into the restaurant business and created a livelihood for me in New York and in Los Angeles for me to um, practice the arts, you know? And uh, so, so at what point did you decide to say maybe the arts, maybe that path isn't for me and maybe there is a career, a, long, a lifelong career for me in hospitality? You know, it was a culmination and, and really it's really the story here at Rosso Blue. It was finding... Um, a place where we could create a culture. Um, and this opportunity with uh, uh, my wonderful partners, um, Steve Sampson and Dina Sampson, like the, the, the chemistry that we had um, allowed us, and we were of a certain age, uh, <laughs> similar age, and we decided consciously and sometimes unconsciously to create a safe place uh, where people could come to work and enjoy what they do, um, and we would we would get rid of the toxicity, and we would be a supportive community for people because that's what I was looking for when I was a young artist, you know, and so um, that's what I was able to create with with our staff. Beautiful. So um, you're you're traveling between New York and L.A. Um, I mean, you're in LA now. Uh, are there any like points along the way? I mean, even Ann Arbor. I know there's one restaurant group in Ann Arbor. I'm sure you're the one that that the same one probably comes to your mind. Yeah, yeah. Which one comes to your mind? Uh, Zingerman's. Yeah, did of you, course. Did you get any experience with Zingerman family? Or um, yeah, and uh, you know, I remember when it was uh, developing. I remember when it was coming of age. Um, I remember when it was setting a whole new standard and. Uh, blowing everything out of the water. And, uh, you know, I lived in Ann Arbor, went to school in Ann Arbor. Um, so I, w I was very, very close to, to that, that brand. I never worked there. I did have friends who worked there. But, um, yeah, incredible influence. And yeah. uh, I love the book Small Giants. Yeah. Ari's a, a repeat guest on the show. Yeah. Ari Weinswag, really great guy. I uh, love what he's doing there. Try to support it whenever I can. Yeah. Uh, and I just love how willing he is to put his information out there and his perspective out there. Yeah, he's know? got a great, great book on, on service. I think it's like eight books now. Yeah. There's like the first one. Uh, it's, they're all a, a lapsed anarchist's approach yes. to then fill in the blank, building a great business, becoming a better leader, yeah. uh, leading oneself. There's a whole I can't remember them all. How to give great service yeah, I think is one of them, which is too. which is just great. You know, yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, between New York and Los Angeles, um, any key moments for you? Like any like evolutionary points? Why don't we just real quick tell me where you've worked, how long? Kind of give me like the chronological like snapshot 
of how you got to where you are today. Yeah, well, you know, the snapshot in, in um, you know, I was just very fortunate um, to learn the skill set of being um, of service. And that I learned from my mother at a very, very tender age. You know, I had two older brothers who are amazing, um, but they were the kind of guys uh, who would finish dinner and then leave the table and and go do their thing. And I would kind of hover around and and help my mom. Um, I'd clear the table. I'd wash the dishes. There was some kind of connectivity that I felt uh, I needed to do. Um, And... That um, level of caring um, just extended when, when I got my first job. I think it was at, at a place called Cozy Cafe in Plymouth, Michigan, and I was like 15. Uh, I worked at Pizza Hut, um, and then I worked at the Bagel Factory when I was going to school in Ann Arbor. I was always finding my way around food, yeah. you know. Um, I gravitated toward it, and then I was just kind of, it just saying to me it came from my heart it was kind of an easy thing to do for me um and uh you know i i took that into wherever i went i was working a really um wonderful law firm in new york for five years but the skill set that i took into that law firm as a paralegal was i just viewed myself as a, a a waiter to lawyers you know i'd go to their office hi what can i do for you what can i what can i make for you today what can i bring for you today and that skill set of caring and following through and getting the details right and guiding the guests through an experience um is just where i've i it just i've taken that into every job that i've done i was in sales um for a tech company for a while and at first, I didn't think my skill set would be transferable, and, and it was because I cared, and I yeah. learned that in the hospitality business. And that's one thing about sales. It's, it's just relationship management. Yeah. People are doing business and buying from you because they like you. That's you, right. You know, like yeah. that's what the best salesmen, that, that what, that's what makes them so good, that people go back to them. They're referred. They get leads, you know, because people like you. Exactly. Um, the skills you need to be good, a, a good front of house person are skills that will serve you for the rest of your life if you choose to go somewhere else or do anything else what you're talking about just caring you know like how like how do you get people to understand how to care like you care um you know uh, we we have to kind of um blow up the idea of what uh they think being a server is um we have to kind of shake that up um had a wonderful experience when kind of a newer server where she just, uh, she had a lot of tables at once. Now she got a lot of support. Uh, our managers are extremely active here. Um, but something happened in that really intense crucible of what we go through as servers where I literally saw like chakras blow out of her body where uh, she was no longer playing the part of being a server. She was now fully engaged in this really intense, active um, multitasking and prioritizing and and I literally saw the change in her body. It's almost as if you were crossing 57th Street and you looked and you saw a truck coming right at you. You know, your your body changes. You're not worried about the dress you have on or the hat that you wear on. You got to get the heck out of the way yeah. and you move. And, and she did. And I think she learned something um, 
spiritually uh, about where to go from here. Yeah. And, and I don't think it's about, hi, my name is Hans. Have you been here before? You know, it's it's not that. That's that's playing at being a server. Being a server is about being efficient and and laying out the expectations and then guiding you through an experience. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome stuff. So you you said you, you spent most of your work. Uh, you're following. At first, you thought you were going to be an artist, yeah. right? Arts. What yeah. kind of arts? Uh, writings primarily, but I was also uh, studying theater in New York. My first job out of University of Michigan was working for George Lucas, and I was I was very inspired working there and um, Lucas Sound. And uh, I just at lunch break, I would sit in his personal library every day and read Joseph Campbell. Um, So I've always been like uh, attracted to, um, you know, uh, literature, um, myth, uh, creativity. And uh, so that that's what brought me to New to, to York is to kind of study theater. Did you work closely with George Lucas by any chance? I saw him every single day. I, yeah. I was literally uh, the the great thing that I didn't realize at the time. You know, when you break into uh, the entertainment industry, is you know you hear this a lot where people are, are working in the mailroom. Yeah. You know, and what the the idea of that, at least for me, was. Working in the mailroom where I started, I was delivering the mail to every person um, who worked there. And so they saw me every day and I got to know. And and one of my buddies who's been very successful there, um, you know, we would have lunch together and everybody would be saying hello to me and not to him because I was like the mayor because I knew everybody. <laughs> yeah. But that's the beautiful Common thing thread. about working in, in a mailroom, yeah. you know, and I only that only dawned on me years later how how significant um, that position is because you're just pollinating, you're moving yeah. around. And, and so, yeah, I got to see George. I got to see, uh, you know, Robin Williams do Aladdin right in front of me, um, wow. you know, take after take after take. Uh, it was the most extraordinary thing I've ever seen. I can imagine. Yeah, it was, it was mind-blowing. Yeah. What did you learn from being – I feel like we can learn so much from just the people we surround ourselves with. And we don't always take a traditional path into the restaurant industry, right. but that doesn't mean we can't take things from our other life, like our previous life, yeah. and apply it to what we, where we are today. We're a culmination of all these experiences. What did George Lucas in this experience – like working with somebody like George and just seeing how he was, did you learn about how to be or how to run a business or – I think any the, lessons from this time you're like yeah I think thank you for asking Eric I think the personal lesson that that I learned um, is I kind of um, bottomed out a little bit and um, it's it's not the first time where I personally bottomed out in terms of uh, my own self management and self um, uh, regulation I I, I was um, too young too arrogant and too ignorant. You know, I didn't know what I didn't know and I wanted things fast. And so me working as a PA and moving picture fill around, um, felt, uh, at the time for my ego, it felt like humiliating, you know, and I felt like, well, I deserve more than this. And so, um, I kind of pushed my way out of there pretty quickly without, Without actually earning my stripes, yeah. I was I was uh, arrogant enough to think that I was entitled <laughs> to so those stripes. To, to, to timestamp this, this is the early '90s. This is when Aladdin came out. That was '90s, right? Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. You remember the year? What, what well, I was working there uh, from in '91, '92, '93. Yeah, and then then that's when um, 
I got into the restaurant business in San Francisco, um, okay. mainly you know bartending, and then and then got to move to to New York in '94. But you had been working in restaurants this entire time. Um, this isn't your first restaurant job in San Francisco, is it? Um, I had worked in Ann Arbor, okay. and and so I was familiar with with you know the, the the goings on. And then I and then I had a great opportunity. I actually I walked into a great Italian restaurant, and um, I'd also been fascinated with Italian culture. I I, I lived in Italy for a little while and uh, wanted to go to film school in Italy. And so, uh, being around Italian food. Um, was just was incredible for me and being around Italian wine and like the culture and and seeing that uh, come to life in a restaurant was exciting and that's so, why I'm lucky to be working in an Italian restaurant yeah. now and this is San Francisco yeah when you this is going down so yeah. we're the year you said I think it was around 1995 we're in San Francisco any other key like between this, this first Italian restaurant and joining forces I think it was in 2017 or 18 uh, that we opened. Uh, yeah, yeah. We, we 2017, Blue. yeah. 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 Any key experiences, just take me through between then and now. Yeah. Evolutionary points for you, people Evo- you work yeah. with. Um, evolutionary points. I think um, getting um, uh, out of New York. Um, well, there was one gentleman, Rudy Santos, uh, who I believe is in Georgia now. I worked with him at a Shelley Fireman restaurant in New York City. And Rudy <clears throat> was the most phenomenal, one of the most phenomenal managers I, I ever got to work with. He did this thing on the very first day when we started. And the, the restaurant kept getting delayed and delayed and pushed back, as restaurants do when you're opening. And it was the first day when we were all together. And there must have been at least... I would guess 40 or 50 people in the room. And what Rudy did, I, I don't know how he did it. He he talked to me on the phone a couple of times, but he hadn't seen me in a while. And he went around the room and introduced each and every one of us, 40 or 50 people by our first and last names. And he just went around the room and knew everybody in the room. And everybody was completely blown away by this guy. Like, how did he do it? It was some kind of like magic trick. That's wild. It was wild. I wish I had that ability. Yeah. It's one thing that like I wish I was better at is yeah. names. And just not but, just and remembering, was, but saying them correctly. Too. Yeah. And he was so genuine and authentic and interested. And he was a, um, uh, I, I believe at a certain time he had been a, a, a butler. So his level of service and care was, I remember there were some times when I would ask him to open a bottle of champagne at one of my tables, not because I was so busy, but just because I wanted to watch him do it. Um, the way he, he uh, undid the foil, the way he turned the, the wire, the way he, you know, gently extracted the cork and then it would take him about like eight minutes to pour the wine because he was so exacting and he was he was incredible and a real life force and and everybody loved him yeah. everybody just loved this so guy. what were the, the things that he taught you? just the attention to detail the power of understanding and knowing somebody's name and taking the time to see some what else grace under pressure mm. um there was a ton of pressure in that new york rest we were right across from carnegie hall um uh it was called um the red eye grill and we would get hit three times. You know, we would get pre-theater, we'd get a huge hit, then we'd get dinner hit, and then we'd get post-theater hit. And and it was, uh, at the time, probably about a you know 10 or $12 million restaurant with about 15 servers on the floor. And this guy just handled it with such equanimity and grace under pressure. And there was extreme pressure. Um, was grace under pressure ever a conversation he had with you? Um, or this idea of teaching you, like the team, like, hey, like... 
grace under pressure like this is what it looks like yeah yeah no i don't think he ever even had the time i think the the we were so um driven by um you know uh driving revenue it was about i walked into that restaurant one day and it smelled of wood and um i was like what what what's going on and i looked over and they were shaving two inches off of every two top to be able to get more two tops in the space uh so they literally had a guy with a uh you know wood saw and he was just literally shaving two inches off every single table (laughs) so they could get a few more tables in because that's that's what how many more tables? Two tables is four more seats. Exactly. You know, and they two, did the math. $300 a night. Yeah. You're missing. Yeah. You know, four turns. Yeah. That's a thousand bucks a night. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Shelly Fireman um, was, was extraordinary. He would sit there every Friday at a round table with all of his leaders and they'd go through and they'd taste every dish in the restaurant. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, every single dish. Tell they'd, me more about what this restaurant group, the level of excellence and things that, that, that they would do to make sure things were exactly where they wanted to be. You know, they, they um, <clears throat> I don't think they, they suffered fools lightly, you know? I mean, if you didn't fit into what they were doing, you were gone, you yeah. know? And the, the, the HR culture uh, then, as opposed to now, um, was just very cutthroat. Either you made it or you didn't. They held, yeah. they held the, the leverage and, and they pushed it. And, um, you know, nowadays, I think uh, in response to that, I, I'm certainly a lot more patient with people. We, we look to find the gold in, in people, and sometimes that takes a long time. And yeah. sometimes that takes a lot of coaching and a lot of one-on-ones. You know? I mean, there's some truth to be said to, to hiring slow, firing fast. Yes. You know, like if they're not a good culture fit. I mean, at a level of this, like a restaurant like this, like you have to not just have the right attitude. You do need to be skilled. Yes. Like yes. that's one of the things you need to be, be able to do it. That's right. Right. And they always say hire for attitude, train for skill. Sometimes just people aren't cut out for it. I'll be honest. I'm not really cut out. I would never work in a restaurant like that. My attention to detail and my, like, I love the crap out of people, but I would not be like, I'd be like, Oh, it's, spilt a little there sorry about that you know what i mean like yeah it's just not for me and sometimes yeah. things aren't for people and when they're not a right match you gotta you gotta recognize it early and say listen you're great you're not for us maybe we can help you find the right place for you yeah but like you gotta you're wasting money at that point yeah you know? yeah and you're also folding to your standards yeah you know? so yeah. there's a lesson there that's that's true and but there's there's also different ways to um Survive. I, I, I think in my early days of serving and waiting tables, I, I was a personality waiter. Mm. I would win you over with my personality and I would win you over with um, the love and the, and the care where technically I might not be very precise, you know, yeah. I, I um, but at a certain point and, and when we talk about evolution, I got to work uh, with a guy, Donato Poto, um, at Providence Um uh, a, a two or three Michelin star restaurant now here in Los Angeles with uh, Michael uh, Simarusti as the chef. Um, but Donato Poto was this driving force there um, who taught me uh, about technique on a whole other level. All, all, all they served there were tasting menus at the time, um, whether they be, I think, five course or 12 course tasting menus. Uh, sometimes they were tandem tasting menus, meaning you would get one dish, I would get the other. And as the server, I had to know all 24 dishes. I had to know exactly which silverware went with it. I had to know um, 
you know, which wine pairing was coming and I had to know which wine. And I was oftentimes when we opened there, I was kind of the guy who would wait on the LA Times food critic. I would wait on Thomas Keller when it came in. I would, I would wait on, um, uh, Barbara Fairchild from Bon Appetit. I had them all in my section one night. It was just extraordinary. <laughs> and, and, oh uh, but again, just like I was describing the young woman who worked for me who learned something about service uh, by being under pressure, I, I learned something about service at that time, um, which was more technique-driven than personality-driven. So tech was so you at first you were more personality yes. driven and then over time you had developed technique. Yes. What was that evolution like for you? How did you were you conscious of it? Were you forcefully like trying to achieve that technique? What things were you doing in your personal life every day to get better? I was uh, at the ironing board. You know, I had a uniform and I had to iron it every single day. And and as I was ironing my uniform, I was visualizing the night. Um, I would also, and I, and I, and I advise this to my team. Um, what, what I would do is I'd go through the wine list and I'd record it in an old fashioned recorder, those little handheld things. And I would, you know, describe the wine, uh, Lalande de Lalande from Bordeaux, mostly Merlot, 85% plummy, dark, earthy, um, you know, wonderful producer. You still great remember vintage. this? this yeah, that's I mean, that's crazy what I see that that's burned into your memory. Yeah, and so <laughs> I would go over each wine three times as I recorded it, and then as I'm ironing my uniform, I'm listening to this. Uh, then I listen to it as I drive in. When I drive in, I stop and I meditate and visualize for about two or three minutes before I walk into the restaurant. There's so many tools and services that are being developed today that do this now. Like um, what comes to mind is Yelly app. That is an app that like these tools, these service tools. I know uh, restaurant rock stars, uh, Roger Bodwin yeah. is another uh, yeah. guy who's been, I've been collaborating with, with some time. He has a new app that's called SR, uh, SRV for okay. serve. You know, and yeah. that's the abbreviation. And there's just so many tools now that are available to people just to go through and just to learn. Yes. To, to like, to, like cards. I guess where I'm going with this, do they give you this, this technique, this practice where they're saying, well, this is what you can do to learn? Do they, do they give you the skill or is this something you just did on your own? I, I just, I did it on my own. And um, like, what a great little feature that you could have on an app though. Like yeah. the owner reading the like the the detail or like yeah. the the sommelier reading the detail setting that out uploading it on the app and all the servers have an audio on loop right right like and, these things and to empower pronouncing it correctly yeah. Yeah. you know and knowing the the grape varietals and the wine um it was extraordinary but the cool thing eric would be like i'd be at the table and you know maybe, maybe it's it's you know thomas keller and says hey what what kind of wine is it? it's right at the i have it it's right there for yeah me. I, I don't love, i love those servers yeah. that know their stuff because i yeah. don't even like to look at the menu i'm like just tell me what's good yeah i'm that guy I'm oh like, you know way better than i do yeah like, sell me something i was yeah. at uh le pigeon or in portland and a wonderful server there and he he just did this one thing as he came to the table and was describing one dish, he just put his hand on his heart. Yeah. And I immediately knew I was in good hands. He oh. just put his hand on his heart. And I knew what I knew were two things. One, I was in good hands. Two, that he cooked at home. Mm. I just knew it. Because the way he described the dish, it was as if he was cooking it. Mm. You know? 
And that's another thing that I got to do a lot was was just to start exploring cooking. You know, yeah. how do you cut an onion? How do you make a chicken stock? You know, those things, when you learn how to make a chicken stock after roasting a, a chicken, uh, there's something you learn that, 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 that just can't. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Yeah. Um. Back to uh, Donato Poto. Yeah. Did I say his name correctly? Yeah, Donato Poto. Donato, thank you, yeah. Donato Poto. Uh, what did he teach you? Um, because I know you mentioned his name, but then you started getting into the details of the the things that you would go through to. He he he. Did I miss it? Did you did you say it? And I just missed it. But was there a lesson from him specifically? Well, I think the way Donato carried himself. Uh, uh, one time, a friend of mine said to me, uh, Hans, I I love working with you because you you take the work seriously, but you don't take yourself seriously. Mm. And that's what I got from Donato. He took the work extremely seriously. He's running a Michelin star, two Michelin star restaurant. I mean, yeah. he was in there when I would arrive, he would be <laughs> at the ironing board because we had linen and he'd be ironing the linen. He would make sure the way he would set a table was so precise. He was very hands-on. His sleeves were rolled up. He was with us. But when we were doing pre-shift, you've never laughed harder in your life. The way he would say things, the way he would talk. And he was, I think, just in the pre shift just trying to relax us yeah. to get ready for a night that was pretty intense but his sense of humor um was what i loved most about being because because i could see this incredible um uh you know th- this difference between how serious we needed to, to be and how light we needed to be at the same time you know yeah that's yeah. beautiful uh any other key stops along your way but it was 2017 when rosso blew open correct yeah, yeah. so where, where are you in your career what's the date when you're working with uh donato um with donato i was working with him and and the, uh, they opened up uh in in 2007 i believe then i spent about seven years working for quinn and karen hatfield um who were incredible chefs um uh, New York trained. They'd been in San Francisco. They they got a Michelin star at Hatfields, um, and I worked with them. and And I just loved working with them. They were very rock and roll in terms, or maybe even like punk rock in their their attitudes towards um, um, you know the restaurant business. They they were outliers and and a little bit renegade and. They they marched to the beat of their own drum, and it was it was fun to be around that energy. And uh, and when that restaurant closed, um, again, you know, this this journey has been uh, a, a lot of um, bottoming out. You know, I, I got to 2016, and um, I was in Miami, and I was in a place I didn't want to be. Um, and with my ex-wife at the time, and she had had an opportunity, and and I was honestly before this job, I was um, a breakfast manager, making a very low hourly, uh, and and actually a guy I was working for later on when when I got this opportunity, I hired him as a runner here, and he was my boss only like eight months before that, you know. Oh my goodness. Um, so you said you were in Miami. Yeah. Okay. Um, how long were you in Miami? I was there about six months. I quickly found out that it was not a place for me. Um, you know, the, the opportunity wasn't what, what was promised. And um, there was just, um, just a bad vibe. So I don't know. For some reason, 
dates are so important to me. Yeah. Uh, 2007, you were at with Donato. 2008 yeah. to 2015, I'm guessing around that time, yes. you were with Quinn and Sarah. Yep. Oh, is, is that correct? Did I get those? Uh, Quinn Hatfield and Karen Hatfield. Karen, thank yeah. you very much. And um, um, and then I did a stint with um, uh, Nancy Silverton at Moza uh, for about a year uh, in 2010. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, what did we learn? Did, did, was the, your time with Quinn and Karen uh, a time of evolution for you? Was it an evolution? Yeah, for you, person. Did you grow it was. here? Did you learn more about the, the business of restaurants? Did they give you a different perspective? You know, they, they gave me a lot of trust. Um, they, had been, they were coming from San Francisco, um, where they had a restaurant called the Cortez. And what, what happened was we opened in this very little small place, probably had like 30 seats. And I just happened to know the clientele extremely well. Yeah. Um, because of my time working in Los Angeles. So uh, I knew the clientele, I knew the vibe, and they entrusted me, with, and they, they empowered me. I was, I was a server, but I also had a lot to say with the wine list and a lot to say about service and personnel. And, um, and, and, and we, were, we, were, we were connected, deeply connected for a long time. Yeah. Um, any other key evolutions, lessons learned, things that... Your, our listeners, people who are trying to be a better version of themselves, grow within the industry, you could learn from your story before we move on to when you became a partner here. Oh, good. Yeah, I, I would say, um, you know, in terms of evolution, I, I, I got sober in um, 2010. Um, again, I was in an industry, I wasn't particularly happy with it. I was in some cultures that I didn't really like. I don't think I was living to my potential and I was uh, drowning myself every single night. Um, and you know, this business is a place where you can do that. You can, yeah. you can really hide, uh, and you can slowly kill yourself. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of what I was, was really doing. And, uh, I saw the light, um, uh, through a couple of extraordinary circumstances based around, uh, my hometown of Ann Arbor. And I, you saw some light based around some circumstances of your hometown. What do you mean by that? Um, you know, certain relationships there, um, certain um, sicknesses around that um, came to light. And, uh, and it just catapulted me into uh, uh, another dimension, uh, fourth dimension, which is sobriety. Yeah. And uh, I was just uh, able to reclaim my life at that point. Yeah. And, um, so that was and and the thing about the hospitality industry Eric is I never thought from a guy who was recording um every wine on the list and really developing into a wino in in the best sense of the word and the worst sense of the word um I didn't know if I could continue in this business if I was sober I didn't yeah. think it was possible. Not to make you more vulnerable than you're already being, because you're, <laughs> you're opening up, you're getting very, you're very vulnerable, and yeah. I appreciate that. But paint a picture of how bad you got. Like, give an example of like where you were, your worst of your worst, what drowning yourself will look like. Yeah, I, th I think there's the powerlessness of it, you know, and and the powerlessness of it might look like uh, getting up in the morning, trying to make yourself look good. Maybe even going to the gym, maybe even going on a six mile run to make yourself look good. For me, it was all about looking good, you know, and like if I look cool, then no one can say anything. If I can beat you to the punch and tell you that I ran six miles and, and I did it in seven minute miles, uh, then I can hide behind that. Uh, 
but then you know the 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 lie that you tell yourself you know in order to be a good con man i think you have to believe the con and so i would get to work and say i'm not going to do it tonight I, i'm not going to drink tonight and by 10 o'clock I'd, I'd already have like a couple in me and then i'd be going for more and it was extraordinary to see how quickly uh it spiraled and got out of control i could drink a bottle of wine in 15 minutes wow. you know yeah um as far as like as like where you were mentally what was like what were what was the low the low like where were you what were you feeling where were you emotionally um i i think i was clueless i think i didn't know what i didn't know i th- i think the problem was always outside of me and it wasn't me and i wasn't going to own it i wasn't going to take any accountability um and then you know finally when people are who are close to you are are pointing at this your achilles heel um I had to do something, and I, and I walked into the doors of Alcoholics Anonymous, and my life changed. Um, they gave me the steps. They gave me tools for life. Yeah. <clears throat> they gave me fellowship. They gave me spirituality. Yeah. Um, and everything changed from there. I was, I'm very fortunate. Yeah. I know you're not supposed to talk about alcohols. And all. I know it's part of the deal. Is it's, it's supposed to be behind closed doors and stuff like that. Yeah. I, 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 I hear that. The anonymity, um, you know, what I used to think about what anonymous meant was that there was some kind of shame in it and that you wouldn't let people know. The anonymity, the way I understand it, is just humility for the grace coming into your life and saving you. It's about yeah. humility than it, more than trying to stay in the dark. And I think that this generation that I am so inspired by, you know, a lot of people talk about, oh, millennials, they don't do this, or generation, what, what X, uh, wherever we are, <laughs> Z, Gen Z, oh, they don't, they don't understand this, they don't... This is such a courageous um, group of youngsters coming into this business and this industry. They're so they don't stand for anything. They're out there protesting. They're out there doing we have access for the first time. You get to think since like 2007, right? Where, which is like when technology, the internet, could follow us everywhere. Yeah, we're plugged in. We have access to knowledge and information. Yeah, this generation, people who were born in say 2000, by the time they were seven, they had the world at their fingertips. Yes. You know, and now that person is 22 years old yeah. and they've had access to knowledge and wisdom and yes. resources like no other generation before them. Yep. Of course, they're going to they're going to call you out on your shit. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like, Wait a second. Boop, boop, beep, boop, boop. <laughs> You're wrong. And like that's the reality we live in right now. You know, and it's just like you, you can't, you know, you can't like that carries weight. Yeah. I mean, and that feeds into our culture today at the restaurant because, you know, my 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 partner uh, steve you know him and i kind of grew up in the restaurant business and and we just you didn't question anything you know you walk in there's the bathroom here's your apron shut the f up do your job don't question anything meanwhile we're going to be saying disgusting things and doing disgusting things after work and and that's just part of the business you know and we didn't question it. I, I never questioned it. And, and that's why I was in this kind of sick spiral for a while until we were able to kind of reclaim. So when you decided to get sober, yeah, how did your life start to change? Ooh, boy. Um, I, I, I would say daily meditation um, changed my life and continues to change my life. I've probably meditated every day for 11 years um it gives me a perspective a balance i don't put everything on myself i don't carry too much Mm -hmm. and the thing that ultimately that i was addicted to once i got off of the booze and the other stuff um 
I was addicted to self-pity. You know, I wake up and the first thing I do is I feel sorry for myself because mm-hmm. I didn't get this and I didn't get that. And why didn't they, you know, and Specifically I was Specifically around the art stuff, like the, the arts, yeah. um, you know, it just did the blame game and not taking accountability and just at the end of the day, what's really weird is that stuff feels good. That's mm-hmm. home. That's like a warm bath of self pity. And if I can wake up to that every day, that's nice i want to stay there because i'm comfortable there and then to get this opportunity to meditate get out of that mindset and get into a mindset that is more connected um more courage more acceptance um now we're into something and now opportunity might just present itself in a whole new way you know um and Awesome. Yeah. Um, now's a great time to thank our sponsors. We'll be right back to dive into when you became a partner at Rusa Blue. Today's episode is brought to you by Margin Edge, a software platform for restaurant people by restaurant people. To be successful in the modern age, you need to be efficient by streamlining your processes and creating automation. Simply put, Margin Edge means data streamlined and insights automated. With Margin Edge, you can track food and labor costs in real time so you can make informed decisions in the moment. And who likes data entry? No one. So you'll be thrilled to hear that there's no more data entry with margin edge they will save your team hours and paperwork by automating your invoice processing with line item detail don't worry about the integration either because margin edge allows you to seamlessly connect your pos and accounting systems and get a daily pnl on top of all of this margin edge enables you to digitally manage your inventory and recipes plus you can compare actual cost versus theoretical cost find out why over 3,100 restaurants are thrilled to be using Margin Edge. Head to marginedge.com slash unstoppable to sign up for your free demo. And when you use that link, you can try Margin Edge for free for 30 days. There's no contract. There's no setup fee. Plus, you get free unlimited training and support. That's marginedge.com slash unstoppable. One more time, marginedge.com slash unstoppable. We're back. And I cannot wait to dive into how you became a partner here at Rosa Blue. Uh, so, like, where were you before Rosa Blue? Like, what was going on? So, this is me coming back from Miami, driving across the country, and um, wondering how I'm going to uh, restart my life again, reboot in Los Angeles. Um, and so, I'm driving across the country, and I knew that Dina and Steve were opening up a restaurant. And literally, Eric, all I was looking for is a gig. Did yeah. you know them? I did. Uh, okay. Um, uh, yeah, we, we we knew each other um, socially for about eight, ten years, maybe. Okay. Yeah. So you knew them for like eight and ten years before socially, uh, before joining the team here. Um, when you reached out to them, were you just like, hey, I, w- I want to come serve? Like, I want to be a server? What was going on? Yeah, I just I just needed a gig. And I knew they were opening a restaurant. And so um, uh, Dina and I had been talking maybe two years prior about this place and about the opportunity. But there was delays in getting it open. And so I knew Aren't that. There always. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I knew I wasn't going to be able to be a, a manager. But I just thought, you know, hey, I could really help by being a, a really Why good server. Why couldn't you be a manager? Because they already had a team in place. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. And um, what was funny was, I, you know, sent the resume and I talked to the general manager and, and they weren't, I don't think they were going to hire me as a server. 
Really? <laughs> because I think I had too much experience, and I think they wanted to start with like a younger crew. And if you read a resume sometimes with a lot of experience, you think like, oh, this guy's uh, old fuddy-duddy, set in his ways. He's, he's probably going to think he's smarter than everybody and uh, not fit. So I don't think I was going to get hired for that. And through a series of circumstances, uh, I arrived back in L.A. on Sunday. I came to the opening party here on Monday night. I saw Dina. She said, I need to talk to you. We met for coffee on Tuesday, and I started to work as uh, the director of hospitality on Wednesday. Okay, so you started as a director of hospitality. What was your relationship with Dina and Steve like before they opened this? Um, you know, d- d- distant, kind of knew them. <clears throat> My ex-wife had helped them open another restaurant and work for them for a while, Um I, I loved their their restaurant Soto. It was my favorite restaurant. Um, what was what was it about that restaurant that was your favorite restaurant? Uh, the food. It yeah. was it was extraordinary. Steve was cooking um, Southern Italian um, food, and uh, and 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 the place was quirky. Um, it was downstairs, like almost like in a basement, and. Um, but, I, you know, you would go there and and seated at the bar where all the chefs in town, you know, everybody loved it. They loved the vibe. They loved the food. Yeah. Um, so it was like before they even offered you the role for the server, they said, no, you're going to be your director of hospitality. Yeah. What is how did she pitch the title of director of hospitality? What is that? Well, I pitched it because um, the idea of managing um or being a general manager, you know, I, I can't manage a thing, you know, I'm, I'm getting better at it. Um, but I, I, I kind of it tied into my sobriety about um, management. Uh, I, I feel like there's really only one manager and, and it's kind of a bigger thing, a spiritual thing. Um, what I can do is direct people towards hospitality. I felt like I didn't want to manage people into hospitality. I wanted to direct them toward it so they could find it themselves um, and that's the role I insisted on taking. I said, I'll be the director. I think it's so important to be self-aware. Yeah. Uh, and this is something like, I'm not a manager either. It's something I realized about myself. I think I, when you're younger, you, I don't think you really kind of understand that you don't have to be good at everything, Yeah. but you, I feel like you feel like this pressure that you do have to be good at everything. And if you're not good at everything, you're, you're bad at everything. Right. And the truth is, I think it's important to know that if you're not a good manager, if you're not good at managing things, then that's okay. But know what you are good at. Are you a technician? Are you a detail oriented person where you like to focus on one thing and just go deep? Are you socially and emotionally intelligent and you're just good with personality? Do you know how to do something you can teach, like you say, and direct them towards what that picture of perfection looks like? There's the, the world of talents is so beautiful and diverse. You could be good at anything. Yeah. No, like learn and pay attention to what people are telling you and then just lean into what you are good at. Yeah. So how did you know you were good at directing people? Um, it, it just came out of my body one day. You know, yeah. I, I think it might have even come out of my body the first day I started here. I, I literally remember them saying, hey, this is Hans. He's our new director of hospitality. Hans, do you have anything to say? And I just started talking. And, and what I said was, I'm standing here. Uh, in the middle of a beautiful world-class restaurant in Los Angeles. And we are going to shake things up and we are going to, I, I became a basketball coach essentially is yeah. what the transformation in my body. Cause I grew up playing basketball. It was the only thing that I really, really loved. And, um, all of a sudden, I became a coach in that moment, and that's what I still am. I feel like, you know, when I watch the NCAA tournament, I feel like I'm, I'm a coach. I'm Shashevsky. I am 
uh, Jawan Howard. I, I'm getting these guys up and down the court and pulling guys aside. I'm saying that didn't work. This works. Let's yeah. do this. And, and that's what I do. Today you're a partner. Did yeah. they offer you partnership then? They didn't. That took a little while. What, what, what happened was, you know, what this place has given me and, and what um, my journey, where, where I arrived is leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's where I was suffocating for so long because I was addicted to sitting in silent scorn. I would sit in meeting after meeting and I'd prefer to judge and say to myself, well, I know what the answer is, but these fools are just going to go through the and, and and so I loved silent scorn. Um, when it finally came my time to like, okay, we'll speak up. All of a sudden, I, my voice came through and I owned it. And then I became a leader. And that's the great relationship that we have in our partnership because Steve is the artist, Dina is the entrepreneur, and I'm the leader. And uh, Tony Robbins talks about that. If you, if you have like a, a real great triumvirate, uh, that's the three roles that you'll need to play. Yeah. And so leadership they, became. Yeah, they get into that, the e-myth too. Uh, Michael Gerber talks, I think he says, the entrepreneur uh, the manager and the technician. And yeah. I don't know if there was a, th- a fourth, but there, you do need a leader too, Yeah, you know? So there's different ways of saying it different ways, but you got to know which lane you fall in. Yeah. Right. And surround yourself with people who are strong or you're weak. Uh, when it comes to being a director of hospitality, like what's like for somebody who is like resonating with her. Yeah, 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 that's me. That's me. I'm not a manager, but I, I know what the picture looks like. Right. And I, I like to coach people. I like to steer people. Uh, how do I, how do I do that? Like what, when you get hired as the director of hospitality, what does the job look like? What's your responsibility? What, what was your day to day looking like? That's a great question. I would say it's like a, almost like watching game film, you know, like, uh, I saw the night and I saw the way it went down. Um, you know, then I get nice and clear in the morning. And as I'm driving into work, I, I know what I need to say in, in pre-shift. You know, I, I know what needs to be pointed out. And I know, uh, you know, there's this thing about hospitality that I, I continue to learn. It's like a, a lot of what we think is hospitality is um, people-pleasing. And when you're people-pleasing, no one gets pleased. You know, you're not pleased. I'm not pleased. Um because I'm basically hiding behind trying to make you feel good. Uh, what happens in the pre-shift is I'm not concerned with making you feel good. I'm in concerned about making you efficient or helping you to be efficient. So now we're going to break through this idea of being a nice person doing nice things to being an efficient person who gets things done and makes people happy. You know, okay. And the pandemic really brought that out too. It's about efficiency. It's not about making people feel loved uh, lovey-dovey you know so you're directing people on their efficiencies to do the job that's your role yeah what tools what resources what are you building to make sure people know what efficiency how do you steer people towards efficiency is it just barking like this is how you do it uh you know it's it's really leading them through um steps of service and and awakening in them what's happening emotionally in every step of service um the first thing is to make people feel comfortable, oriented, and certain. They come, for us, they drive downtown, and there's a homeless population. And they've driven through Skid Row. They haven't seen this. Now they get to a place, they feel scared. What we need to do is throw our arms around them, 
be very prompt when they come. Hello, you're in a safe place. We're here to take care of you. Oftentimes, a, a drink is going to help that out. So let's get a drink in somebody's hand very quick. <laughs> you know, then we're going to, and what's amazing, and this is a Tony Robbins thing, you know, we're, we're craving certainty, right? But once we, almost as little children, once we get certain and we're safe, now we're asking, well, surprise and delight me. Yeah. You know, now that I'm safe. You know, now give me some juxtaposition. Yeah, give me something, (laughs) you know, so then that's when you come in and the pitch of describing the menu and talking about the menu is that moment when I'm going to surprise and delight you with what you have. And then as you start to enjoy the experience and you're out of your head, I need I need to stop you from thinking. If you come to my restaurant, and you're thinking too much, you're not going to have a good time. I need to get you out of that thought mode and I need to get you into a pleasurable experience with food and wine and sensations and drinking. And then after I get you from certainty to surprise and delight, now we're just creating feelings together. And the way I do that is, and it's a check back. Is there anything else I can bring for you? So now what's, what's now that you're, you kind of painted the picture of what your role as director of hospitality is and what you're doing is setting the standards and the empowering people to, to, to deliver what you're explaining to us, what does your day-to-day look like now for this role? Well, my day-to-day is, you know, um, playing a lot of offense and playing a lot of defense. Um, My day-to-day is, uh, you know, I almost break it up into weeks. I I need to look at the three things that, you know, on a Sunday night, I'll kind of look and meditate on the business model. And I've got to find those three things that I need to wrestle down this week that are going to change the game or to make us better and what are those three things and i need to focus on those three things or one thing how do you prioritize those three things um i just look through a template uh, of our business model which is broken up for me into about like seven or eight things and it might be um key activities key resources um key partnerships uh cost analysis revenue generation um guest segments, you know, guest relations. I haven't seen that person in a long time. I have a real personal connection with my regulars. They all have my phone number. I text everybody, you know. So where do you draw the line on that? Where do I draw the line with people? Yeah, is there, can you take it too far with this? Uh, no, you can't. Okay. I, 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 there was a illuminating moment during the pandemic where this, I read this thing where this guy in, in England, a pretty London famous chef, there were a lot of no-shows on a certain night, and the guy lost his mind. He went on Twitter and is like, how dare you, da 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 screaming, yelling, you know, and, and had this tirade that got documented, and I think it was on Eater. And, and um, well, I thought to myself, well, it's his fault. He should have reached out to these people and found out if they're coming in. Yeah. Like, you can't just... You know, if someone makes a reservation, it is no guarantee that they're coming in, even if they've confirmed it. So what I started to do is every single night, reservation by reservation, I text them personally. I say, hey, this is Hans, one of the co-owners of Rosa Blue Restaurant. We look forward to seeing your five guests at 5 p.m. Will we get to see you? Please confirm. Yeah. Also, it's cold outside, so please wear layers. Yeah. Is that something that you can automate? Do you, would you ever automate that? Well, it's gotten better. You know, OpenTable has this now yeah. where you can, like, text people. I what, What's great for me and what I learned, Eric, is that now when they text me, I've got it right here. I got the information. Oh, they're 15 minutes late. I don't have to go over to OpenTable to find that out, you yeah. know. Now as we grow and scale, I can't do it intimately like I was doing it. But for the most part, I love to do it because yeah. they're like, 
And now, you know what's amazing is now like, hey, we can't make it. Someone's not feeling well. I'm so sorry someone's not feeling well in your group. Thank you for letting me know. You now have my number. You want to make a reservation in the future. You reach right back out, back out to me over and over and over and over. Your past, your past, you're creating a path of least resistance. I, you have a phone number, a conversation going, and now somebody's like, I'm gonna, like they're going to go to what's familiar. Yes. You, they, they have a Hans in their phone. That's right. He's there. They, That's right. They know he's waiting. What do you want for dinner? Let me just talk to Hans. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and it's all text driven though. That's yeah. the that's the illuminating moment. It isn't a phone call. You can't call anybody. No yeah. one's going to pick up their phone. Yeah. I, that's true. It's kind of sad that it's true. <laughs> it's just the way it is, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's just accepting you. the reality and accepting that we're in a new generation and getting out of the mindset of old fuddy duddy. You know, yeah. I could stay in old fuddy duddy for for. Me too, man. You know? I was born in the wrong decade. I think <laughs> yeah. I was the wrong generation for sure. Yeah. Um. So, at what point did the the conversation of of getting equity in this business come into play? Um, I think it's just we needed more leadership. I think we, you know, pain is the touchstone to your growth. And we hit a pain point in 2018 when we just had, we had a lot of talent, but we had the wrong team, you know. And so what we sat together, four of us, and we were like, what are we going to do? And I I got a hold of this book uh, by Gina Wickham called Traction. And it gave me the entrepreneurial operating system. And um, we, we embraced core values and we, we defined our core values and our core mission. And pretty soon we found out who fit and who didn't. And I started the process of clearing house. Yeah. So you say we have the right talent, the wrong team. Yeah. I think I know what you mean by that, but unpackage that. They didn't have the core values. You know, yeah. our core values are, are compassion, work ethic, integrity, um, commitment to excellence, passion for Rosso Blue, and a can-do attitude. I had a guy who's super talented, but no compassion. Yeah. He had no heart. He had no emotional. I shouldn't say he had no heart. He just didn't have the emotional compassion compassion to yeah. to the work. And yeah. so he doesn't care about his teammates. Yeah, you don't care about your teammates. You can't work here. Yeah, and then it became very clear that who could work here and who couldn't. Yeah, and um, the book that you mentioned, Traction, amazing book. We literally just just finished that book uh in our book club we in i I do this book club and it's a a whole quarter where we cover one book it's not just a a, a, a week but it's the quarter to to really understand and implement these lessons from your book we we recently read traction um i'm gonna give it a whole nother quarter i'm gonna give it three more months and this time around we're we're gonna go through and go through the exercises and hold each other accountable through to go through those exercises if that sounds interesting to anybody listening to this don't be shy reach out to me we'll get you in the book club um i i think there's a lot of an issue with reading is that we have this tendency to read 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 we're like oh if if i read books i'll solve my problems right and all you do is learn 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 and like, why hasn't anything changed? Right. It's because you're not doing any of the shit. Yeah. You know, like you gotta, yeah. like you, you gotta implement this stuff into your life. You gotta go through the motions. You gotta implement what you're learning. Um, so, I mean, that book is powerful though. And you, I think you mentioned it, but it, it gives you the language, a common language. Yeah. So everybody's on the same page. So when you say something, people know exactly what you mean yeah. and they give you the templates. So it, the templates work like a checklist yeah. for you to make sure you're doing everything that you need to do to get to this point where you have structure. Yeah. Um, sorry. I, I went on a little tear there. No, I, I, I want to be in the, the book club. You. Yeah. yeah, you should. I mean, I'd love to have you in the book club, yeah. but um, what were some of the, b- the big key takeaways that, 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 that book gave you that you wouldn't have had otherwise? 
Um, beside the the core values, the one thing that is growing to be stronger and stronger is what uh, Gino calls, you know, there's different, you could call it your core mission. um, uh, And that's what I currently call it. uh, But it, it, the core mission is for us, it's got to be a simple sentence of we're building a healthy company with healthy employees making a healthy impact on our community. And that sentence has gotten stronger and stronger and stronger over the last five years. We had it even before the pandemic. So when you think about having a healthy company with healthy employees making a healthy impact on the community, like that just totally uh, turned it on its head when when COVID hit town. You know, now we're talking about safety. Mm. And safety became the number one priority and yeah. still is. You and this, know? this is what happens. You create a mission statement. This is what happens. It becomes your center line. Yep. So every day you're like, what do we do? What decision do we make? What did we say we're going to do? Right. What, what is our mission? What is our purpose? Yes. That will, that's our filter. You know, these are core values. That's our filter. These are our filter. This helps us. This guides us yeah. in making these decisions. It's super powerful. So back, the original question was, how did you start to, get to this place where you got ownership in Rosa Blue, it sounds like you started to take initiative to work on the business and you were treating exactly. it like you owned it yeah. and, and you were, you were helping cement the culture. Yeah. Um, did you say something to the, were you like, I, w- I would like to stay here, but like I want steak. Did they offer it to you? Like how did that go down? I, I, I think they recognized uh, passion and passion is, is one of our core values. And, and they said, you know, we want you to be on this trip with us. And um, it was a no-brainer. I think the important thing about this for me, Eric, is I wasn't necessarily angling for it or looking for it. The universe provided it for me because I had done the correct um, steps. I, I had worked hard. I had shown grace under pressure, and then the opportunity came. I, I notice it now with some younger folks who automatically want it. They, just because they want it, they say they feel like they, they should get it. And, and I want to say to them, hey, just keep your head down. Keep working and it'll, it'll be there for you. Treat of course it like you have you own to. It. Yeah, of and course. You you, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Of course you have to speak up for yourself and you have to advocate for yourself. But. It's to, to come in and say, hey, I want this position and, and now I want more money for this position. It's like, well, earn it, yeah. you know? And, and the hard thing about earning things, and, and, I, and I feel it every day. I feel like I've been working with this tribe for, for five years and I should come in here and be the man and be respected by, you know, and people respect me, don't get me wrong, but I have to earn that respect yeah. every single day. How do you earn it? Uh, I work with them. I, I, I'm on the floor. I'm, I'm bussing tables. I'm, I'm washing dishes. I'm mopping floors. I mean, I think that's, that's the way you earn it, you know. Yeah. And at a certain point, you have to elevate yourself a, a, a bit above that. But you do it with um, a process and you do it with um, kindness and caring. And, and then you get to uh, another level. I, I mean, I don't want to be... Um, you know, we can't grow as a business if I'm mopping the floors, yeah. you know. So 
my goal with the restaurant unstoppable is really to talk to owners, right? And I, I want people who have stake in the business, who are equity partners, partners in the business, or sole owners, or whatever. Um, I don't always get to talk to people who come into ownership by way of earning it by working. So, what is your advice for that person or who might have this opportunity to become a partner? Maybe it's been presented. Um, how do you have those conversations? How do you? What's normal for like? How do you slice and dice it up? Like, what does? What does that look like? What, what, where does where do you even begin with the, what to ask for, what to expect, what the how do you protect each other in those in those those partnership agreements and things like that? Mm. Like, what does that look like? Mm. I mean, I think these for, are kind of weird questions. Yeah, no, but for somebody coming in, I mean, it's just it's all going to be for for me. It's it's all passion. You know, it's just are you passionate for the work? Are you passionate? Can you show that passion? Can you exude that passion? Um, then, you know, you, you have to be, I think, savvy when you're talking about business. You got to do your homework. You can't show up at a meeting uh, unprepared. Uh, you have to prepare for meetings. Like when I say today, I have three different meetings. I have a kitchen leadership meeting. I have a hospitality roundtable meeting. And then I have a general meeting with the team. To, to say that we have a meeting at Thursday at 2.30 and then you just roll into work and you're not prepared for the meeting, it's just you're, you're not advocating for yourself. You have to come in with some kind of agenda and you've got to say, hey, guys, here are the three things that I'm noticing and here's what I'm working on. It's not for me to tell you everything, you know? Yeah. And so I felt like that's what I would do for any kind of meeting. I show up fully prepared, you know, and... And, and that way I can speak up and, and, and move the needle. I love it. Uh, so what about partnership agreements? Anything that you learned going through that process of coming to terms on a partnership? Um, I think there's, there's a space where, um, where you do need to advocate for yourself. Um, there's a space where you need to recognize your own value um, and that's hard to do, I think, in the restaurant business because oftentimes you are, you know, your EBITDA isn't great um, and you're, you're looking at your um, controls on the plane and, and, you know, you're not where, where you need to be. And, but in order to get where you need to be, you, you, you have to advocate for yourself because you have to feel strong in order to keep the 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 plane in the air yeah you know and if you start to give too much away which is a whole other kind of sickness that we could talk about beyond alcoholism or addiction it's this addiction to debt you know it's to be a debtor and to be someone who is compulsively putting yourself in debt and and not recognizing your own value and trying to get up above that yeah Uh, i think that's probably something we're going to pull some layers back on because I know one of the things we're going to talk about is mental health. Yeah. Does that play into this for you? Is that a, a connection? Is that connected to this? A hundred percent. You know, there, there's a program that I was involved in called, um, it, it's got the worst, uh, branding ever, but it was called debtors anonymous. It is called debtors anonymous or under earning anonymous. And it is just the kind of sickness that you get around with money and it, how you handle it. What drives that? Is it, is what, what drives debt for most fear? Um, uh, lack of self-worth, um, you know, shame. Um, it's the kind of person who doesn't open their mail, you know, it's the kind of person who won't, won't look honestly at their own debt, who won't, um, who's always just making minimum payments and then who's living life on credit cards. Is it lifestyle? A sense of like, I feel like I need these things to feel 
good to feel equal? There's part of it. I think that's what's so difficult about that program because it comes from so many different angles. I've been in rooms and meetings and I'm sitting next to a person who lives in Beverly Hills and has a ton of money, but just can't stop spending it, you know? And then I'm living or I'm next to someone who's got three PhDs and is not using any of that skill. Right. You know, I mean, you're sitting across the table from somebody. I was $200,000 in debt when I was 21 years old. Amazing. Because I went to school because I did everything I was told I was supposed to do, you know? Um, and like, I know what it's like to be, it's crippling $200,000 in debt. Like I, I I had anxiety attacks up until like my, probably like my, my 30th birthday, you know, it wasn't until that point where I felt like I was headed in the right direction that I would get control over it, but it can be crippling. Yeah. You know, like it's, it's debt. like it's a real, it's a real challenge, but like, why do we get into it in the first place is the question. Yeah. Um, I think society is a lot to blame telling you that you, need to go to college that you need to do all these things at the age of 18 years old when you have no clue who the frig you are right like i'm spending two hundred thousand dollars to figure out i'm not meant to do this yeah you know what i mean like what the hell right Uh, and then what do you do thereafter you know like why do we do this like why is it so accepted to to take out debt like what and how crippling how crippling is it thereafter right um, I mean, I don't know if you have anything to say to what I'm sharing. Well, but like, I just, you know, it's like a screenwriting program that I was invited to be in. And, you know, you look at the number and you're like, wait a second, I'm going to pay this much to learn how to write screenplays. It's like, I think I better figure this out by myself yeah. and surround myself with with uh, culture and, and great writers and, and read because I've, I've got to learn this by myself. I can't. Now, there were connections that I probably didn't get by, by not spending that money. But uh, I have friends who went to AFI and UCLA and spent a ton of money. And they can't get out of that debt. Yeah. It's tough. Um, what what have you learned about getting out of debt? Going to this uh, um, debtors? And, was it debt and You know, I, I, think, I think it's about, uh, again, it's about self-worth. And it's a about, you know, I, I always condemned myself for not saving enough money, but the truth is I wasn't earning enough money to save, you know? I mean, I was beating myself up, but I just wasn't making enough money to save. I mean, especially living in LA. places like LA yeah. and New York, where, where I like to live. But uh, I had so much shame around that until I finally came to a, a certain station in my life where I was able to save a little bit of money, but I realized like, oh, it's not because I've changed my habits. I've been living like a monk for all this time. It's that I now finally made a little bit more money so I could save a little bit more money. So the idea is like not to beat yourself up in this vicious circle to say I'm no good because I'm not saving money. It's to figure out how do, how can I earn more? Yeah. So, um, so we all we got here because you said you got to advocate for yourself in that process yeah. of going to the table to come to terms on an agreement on a partnership agreement. Yeah. Yeah. Um, did you guys have lawyers involved with this partnership agreement? Yeah, there's 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 always and and we're kind of you know growing and scaling as a um, as as a partnership now and we're we're having to revisit those 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 numbers and um, and we will and yeah. and that definitely. Uh, involves clarity and and that's the the benefit of of all that it's just getting more clarity so how do you go to bat for yourself and lobby for yourself during that conversation give, uh, give us some advice yeah i think it's um first of all you 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 have to be at the table with 
with with good people at the end of the day and if you're you're around it's just how to say it i've got a good buddy of mine in 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 silicon valley and he's he just says hey i don't work with assholes (laughs) i just don't and uh fortunately i don't at this point you know um but i think it's it's important to know you know, I'm I'm in charge of generating revenue around here. You know, I'm in charge of rolling my sleeves up and creating an events business that totally got decimated. You know, that involves uh, a lot of work and a lot of hands-on communication with with building relationships that we yeah. talked about and being a salesperson. And and you could you have the data in front of you. Look, this has gone from here to here, and I've been responsible for that growth. You know, yeah, awesome stuff. Um, anything we haven't discussed that you really were hoping we would discuss? I already have some notes to get into culture. We already tapped on culture a little bit with mission and and, and values, and and I think, I think uh, it was actually Dina that was talking about uh, a vision that that didn't come up in our conversation. No. I, we're doing these conversations back to back. It's all starting to mix together for me. Um, anything you want to get out as far as your journey, as far as what's going on here, lessons learned, things you can pay forward to the next generation, get it out before we start diving into uh, mental health and culture. Yeah. I think that the just people, you know, uh, I'm so grateful for the team. I'm so grateful for the people who helped us come back from a fire that we had in 2018 people who helped us come back from the pandemic up and down, up and down, open, close, open, close. Uh, I had a whole team come off of unemployment so they could help us rebuild. And there were a lot of players who said, I'd rather sit on the bench and collect money for not doing anything. Um, And then I had advocates and courageous people who said, I want to get off the dole and, and I I shouldn't say it in a judgmental way, but they, they came back and they worked for their this company for us and for their own well-being and we did it with masks and gloves and and visors and the unknown and these people showed a lot of courage and and the current team that i have is 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 just incredible they're they're amazing beautiful stuff so when dina called you out she said you got to talk about culture building a true focus on hospitality in mental health as a, prior, a priority in our industry. So let's just start with culture building because I think that's where we kind of left off. We kind of dove into it a little bit. We mentioned vision. We mentioned core values. What else do we need to know when it comes to building this culture that you're so proud of today? Um, I, I think it's a living thing and it's a changing thing. It's not um, a thing that it's, it's always moving. It's, a, it's like, um, you know, our, our, the mother for our, our pizza dough. It's, it's always, always changing and alive and you have to be alive to it. Um, you know, I've been very lucky to, you know, what I love about, you know, the French, uh, the waiter in Paris who's standing there and you come into the restaurant and he knows what you need. You know, you're, you're asking him and almost as if he's a doctor, like, Hey, what do I need today? You're not just asking, what should I have? What's good? He's looking at you and he's like, Eric, you're going to need some fish. Yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? I, yeah. I can see it on you. You yeah. need fish, you need some broccoli. Yeah. And then I'm going to give you this beautiful cappuccino. You're going to be set, you know? Um, and that's, that's the way you take care of a culture. I, I can see a guy coming in and I can see the way his shoulders are. I can see the look on his face, the look in his eye. I can see the way he punches in and I know what needs to be addressed today. Yeah. I'm super interested and in, I think we're kind of, we're talking about culture. It's, it's, um, you're, you're, you're painting that picture. You're saying this is, 
this is who we are. This is what we believe in. Um, and I think what you're, you're kind of describing true hospitality right now. What is true hospitality? It's warmth. It's generosity. I'm so fascinated by the origin of hospitality from like an anthropo- anthropological standpoint of yeah. we have this trait. We are warm. We're generous. We, we care. We're we're tribal. You know, we're packed. Right. Uh, just like you see like wolves taking care of like their, their cubs or what do you call them? Baby like cubs, uh, puppies, like right? Wolf puppies, I guess we would call them. Sure, um, but like just like this, in like this, this, or even towards each other, like they just care for each other. It's like a part of their DNA. Like they just they they love on each other. You know, you see it in the wild. Yeah, we have the same characteristic where we just love on each other. Yeah. Um, what is that? Is that hospitality where we we feel this need to just show people our affection? that we care through acts of through gestures where did that how did that bubble up inside of us mm. do you have thoughts on this do you ever do you ever wonder like where did this all come from and like what's the science behind that yeah you know i mean the 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 origins of the word you know uh restaurant to restore um to uh revitalize um a restoration process to remind us uh that we're human again um I get to see it every day out on the, on the in the dining room where, you know, friends are getting back together, and God, it looks so good. People are celebrating birthdays again, and families are smiling, and little kids are running around. I mean, this is where we should be, and this is the place where it's expressed. You know, for a while there, everything had gone so um, online. You know, where we're ordering everything through Amazon, we we're getting everything, but restaurants are going to be here for a while because we we need this experience. We need to be going out, you yeah. know. And I think people forget that and like all the talk about ghost kitchens, putting right. restaurants out of business. Right. I'm like people forget, yeah, you know, exponent like technology is exponential. Moore's law states that technology is exponential and that before we know it, like it's only going to get better and better and better, but what's not exponential is human evolution right in growth right and like we are a governor like we're we we are gonna like no matter how fast technology goes we are still human beings and we still need certain things and human connectivity and being seen and being loved and feeling like you belong is not going anywhere anytime soon and we fix that we we feed that right what's going through your mind well for what's going through my mind a couple things you know what the great thing about this industry is like uh for from my experience is i you know i didn't join the navy i i i joined the pirates you know like we <clears throat> in the all the restaurants that i worked in were uh the, these weren't um corporate personalities we we had just extravagant crazy wild pirates and i ran with as i am (laughs) (laughs) i ran with a ton of them and i love them and we're the outsiders and we're the outliers but we do understand the 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 love component and and there's almost something rebellious about it and that's what i love about it 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 is almost like punk rock to say that we're going to bring in a group of people and we're going to take care of them when i think about culture you know it's attributed to peter drucker to say that culture eats strategy for breakfast um but peter drucker was a guy who was born in austria and he saw what happened when you know the nazis came in and took over the marketplace and his i you know from what i understand and the reading i've done about peter drucker is that the business place is such a sacred place for you to take care of your employees and to take care of your business almost to say that you know who whoever you are you're not going to come in here and destroy what we've built 
you know, whatever kind of um, government uh, that comes into play. Um, they're not going to come in here and they're not going to take our workers. They're not going to stick them in, in to, to, and ship them to places. We, we, we're not having that, you know? Yeah. Um, so what's, what's the connection? Kind of like round that off for me. Like where are you going with that? Well, I mean, you know, in, in 2000, uh, I think it was 18, we, we, we got a message about, um, you know, Trump's forces uh, wanting to come around and collect illegals and, and come into our restaurant and pull people off of uh, out of our restaurant, you know. So we put signs on the doors where they couldn't get in, you know, that, that, that said, this is a safe place, you're not allowed in, you know. So we, we had these signs in certain places. So it, it never came to fruition. Um, these people didn't come around. But we had rooms in here uh, we were going to put people in if, if those guys came around and wow. threatened us. And wow. and just to even bring that up uh, from a guy who, you know, was born in this great country. Um, I get a little emotional. My, my parents are from Guatemala and I've been afforded a beautiful life here. Most people in uh, from Guatemala are, are the backbone of, of this business and they're dishwashers. And back, I'm, I'm just lucky to be a Guatemalan guy who, who gets to own a restaurant. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I think this might be kind of uh, tied to the next question, a question I ask all my guests, this mentality that our, our, our mission is to inspire, empower, and transform the industry. Uh, when I ask you what's broken with our industry, or what, where are we now? Uh, we have come a long way. Things are getting much better, but there's still room for growth, right? Where is there room for growth in our industry? What needs to change? How can we be better? Wow, that's such a great question. I, I think... Mm, I think there has to be a language that see this is this is tricky um there there has to be a language that the guests need to start to understand we 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 started to gain a little bit of respect as an industry where people saw how far we'd fallen and how hard we got hit and there was a ton of empathy in the beginning and that is slowly dissipating where People are coming in again and taking it for granted who we are, and so I don't know how we need to advocate for ourselves. Are you saying the the, the world, our society, is just taking the restaurant industry for granted? I, I think so. I think it's it's a, a restaurant that's easy, or it's a industry that's easy to take for granted, and maybe that's why we were not united. And 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 this isn't. It, it's hard to bring this up because it sounds like it's anti-guest or something, but. Um, there needs to be some kind of, let's say I make a reservation for 7.30 on a Saturday night. And let's say I, I make a, uh, uh, I buy movie tickets at 7.30 p.m. to go see the next Tom Cruise movie. Well, I'm going to get there at 7.30 p.m. And I'm going to, because the movie's going to start, yeah. you know? Yeah. But for somebody making a reservation at 7.30, it's, it's a toss-up. Plus or minus 30 minutes, yeah. right? Maybe, you know, we're running a little <laughs> behind. Oh, you're yeah. coming to downtown on a Saturday night and... You're just, you know, it's it's just a little bit of courtesy, a lack a lack of respect for the what we're trying to do here. Exactly, yeah. and that's where again I have to be proactive, yeah. and I have to text you and I say, "Hey, Eric, I hope we we'll see you at seven thirty. And and by the way, traffic is heavy. Now yeah. I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure that you know that traffic is heavy, and you're going to get down here at seven thirty. Yeah. You know, um, what, how did we get here? Did we enable the consumer to to treat us like this? Is it because of our 
is this are we reaping the fruits of our own you know uh by folding all the time and, and letting the the guess is always right. You know? Yeah. Like, yeah. You just well, acclimate to this point over time, like it, a frog it, in hot water. It, yeah, exactly. I think it's just there, 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 we don't have much leverage. Yeah. And when we try and push back with, with, uh, you know, we'll sell tickets to you. We won't serve. It comes off as inhospitable. Yeah. Um, so you really, I mean, ultimately I don't get too caught up in all of that. I just go with the flow mm-hmm. and I just respect that the universe is going to take care of us. Yeah. No, I think I, I agree with you. I think that uh, there needs to be something that happens where we educate the consumer on what it, the cost of doing business in the restaurant industry. Yeah. And like, there needs to be penalties. Like, yeah, you know what? Like, we're hospitable. It's our, we, 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 we take care of people. We're warm. We're generous. And that's what we're all about. But at the same time, if you, if you and your behavior is inhibiting us for creating a, an experience for somebody who is on time and for who is doing a thing, like we need to keep you on us so we can be honest for other people. So we can yeah. chill for other people. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, and that means charging people what it costs to, to provide the services. We yeah. need. Like we need to, take care of people so they can take care of themselves so they can show up for you yeah. and that's what this is going to cost and we i think we're guilty for constantly looking at the the person down the street and saying what are their prices well we can't be more expensive to, than them right and we just cut the cost cut each other again so now we can't give the resources we need because we we're just giving it away yeah you know yeah. What you, what's going through your mind as i say this um i think what what personal accountability comes into to place and 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 what i see is i get to have a meeting with my partners later and and the stakes are high but they are also deep you know and so i just need to go deeper and i've got to figure out you know uh when we talked earlier about um what might be a mantra uh you know there is a solution and there there that would be my mantra there is always a solution and yeah. and we'll figure this out we just got to go deeper yeah. you know yep um so what about mental health is that something that you think we can be better about in in the industry we talked a little bit about mental health before with alcoholism um but what about when when dina said it, you should really talk about mental health are you advocating? Are you doing work? Or like, why was that a hot topic for her? Um, you know, well, we just were on a, a magazine cover um, about mental health, Plate Magazine. Um, uh, you know, I just there's there's this this business, like I said, again attracts some rogue characters, and um, uh, but we need to to recognize signals and. Um, and we need to be uh, responsible uh, for for taking care of our employees, you know. Yeah. And um, a lot of sickness kind of comes up in our 20s, you know. And it comes up in many various forms. And, um, and some of it is just devastating, you know. And... Uh, but we see it a lot with with addiction. I I'm really grateful, uh, and because maybe it was just such a hotbed in the the '90s in New York where everybody seemed to be adult. Here I don't see it as much. I'm I'm grateful. My team, it, it, good good kids, good clean energy. Yeah, yeah. I think there's change happening right now. I think it's attributed to just how much information is out there that was a, that's accessible today. There's no there's nothing standing in a, in the way between people and the resources they need yeah. or at least the knowledge they need. This podcast is an example of that. Like when before could you get access to the, 
leading restaurateurs and operators across the country to learn from their experiences and their mistakes. Like we are moving information around like never before. Yeah. And it's so accessible. And I think that we're quickly, you know, I said something before that like humans don't evolve, don't evolve exponentially. I think that there's a cultural change happening exponentially right now. Maybe like our, our DNA doesn't evolve, mm. but collectively cultures evolve and change. Mm. And I think that's definitely happening. I think even look, look at downtown Los Angeles, 2001, we we're talking to said Moses earlier yeah. and now he had to literally escort people around because they did not feel safe. Right. Be, they, they, they was dangerous. Right. You can walk around that area now at, to, at night and yeah. not necessarily, am I wrong in saying that? Has yeah, no, 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 there's, I'm there, not from here. So yeah, I don't, if I'm wrong, no, there's just been some amazing changes happening. Yes. And it's, I think it's, it's happening across the universe. It's happening or across the, the world, you yeah. know, like the information is there. We're learning more about what we need as humans and we're taking, we're, we're feeding that need, right. we're taking care of ourselves. We're right. putting ourselves first. You're seeing it happen. Yes. Um, what are your thoughts as I'm saying this? Well, I just think there's, yeah, there's more, um, access to wellness. There's more consciousness around it. Um, and, uh, you know, even, even in social media, you know, there, there's, there's advocates, um, I think there's a, a greater awareness of uh, these apps for meditation, Headspace, and Headspace. Insight Timer. I don't use it anymore, but it helped me get started to understand what meditation should look like. Yes. And for me, I just I just start breathing, focusing on breath, and then yeah. I always end with a mantra. Good. Um, that's my approach. What's your approach? I have a ton of different approaches. It changes all the time. Uh, right now, I'm doing kind of Buddhist loving kindness meditation. I work a lot with Joe Dispenza, change your energy, change your life. Um, Who's Joe Dispenza? Who is Joe Dispenza? Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll turn you on to him. Uh, he, he's, I'll, I'll, I'll share some meditations with you. He's just this guy who's kind of almost taken the, the ancient wisdom of Kundalini Yoga okay. and then... Uh, studied it and shown um how uh it, it affects us um energetically yeah and it's it's a it's a matter of awakening you know your chakras okay uh, oftentimes and it's one of the great things that i discovered in in sobriety it's like i was living out of my head i you know i was a pretty smart guy i did well in school so everything that i thought was supposed to be generated out of my brain i was not using my heart I was not using the Manipura, which is my, my gut instinct. I wasn't using, you know, my, my other lower chakras uh, for anything other than like, you know, just self-gratification. Um, but there's a lot that can be pulled out of those uh, and freeing that, that energy down yeah. there to, to cultivate a, a new level of understanding. You mentioned the heart chakra. Yeah. Uh, in the, the stomach, the gut chakra. There's a lot of science coming out right now. Um, especially around the heart of this idea that the heart has a brain yeah. and they're, they're proving that there's neuro neurons in the heart, the heart forms before the brain forms. The heart's the first thing yeah. that starts going, right? Yeah. We, we start from the inside out. Yeah. Um, and that there's like the, the heart has a brain and that your, your heart is actually communicating to your brain when you're doing hospitable things. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of interesting stuff around that, you know? And I, and like yeah. we, there's a reason why I drive or fly around the country to, to, to sit across the table is because this stuff me, like makes a difference. 100%. Being with people makes a difference. Yes. It, it affects the conversation. It affects the energy. Yeah. And I could feel your energy just as uh, just when I sat down and I'm sure you could feel my energy yeah. when I said with excitement and loud, <laughs> you know, like it matters, yes. you know, and that's coming from the heart. This yes. stuff is, we got to listen to this stuff. It's yeah. very important. Um, 
if, if I were to do a workshop on meditation, who do you think I should talk to? A workshop on meditation. Um, well, you know, there's the, there's a couple of um, Ajahn Achalo and, and uh, Stephen Proctor who are, um, you know, take uh, Buddhist meditations and they, they create them in a way that's accessible for us. Yeah. Um, but I think Dispenza is a really important guy right now. And, and the work he's doing, uh, what, what he does in essence for me is he conditioned, I get to condition, live in the space of abundance, mm. you know, and I'm not trying to uh, grab abundance. I'm literally, he's like waking me up into gratitude and saying, you are abundant right now. And I, for all of us. And I live in that space. Yeah. I live in abundance and I live in freedom. And when I'm connected, you know, Tesla said, if you want to know the secrets of the world, you will think in terms of energy, vibration and frequency. Mm-hmm. You know, so I set my frequency and my energy in tune with yeah. abundance. Yeah. And I'm guilty of this. I forget sometimes too, like this idea of scarcity, right? Is the opposite oh, yeah. of abundance. Oh yeah. And scarcity gets us in trouble because we conserve, we hold back. Oh yeah. Generous. Even on this trip, I'm like, I'm worried about money. I'm like, oh, like if we, if we do this, it's going to be an extra this. And I forget that what is that going to do to create more opportunity for me? Yes. And we get so caught up in the little things, the minute things that are immediately going to hurt. We don't think about like the, the, when we think of mindset of scarcity, that might, that might hurt me. That might be dangerous. And we, we, we we forget that the world is abundant. There's so much. I love it. You know, and um, the way that translates into our business today is in terms of labor. You know, we do a scorecard every week. So we're looking at our labor number, our food cost, our wine cost, our liquor cost, you know, and, and we want our labor number to be sitting at exactly this point. But at a certain point, you have to invest in your labor team and you might have to ride higher than you're comfortable with in terms of your number because you have to do a deeper dive into your your education, yeah. your training. Even you, I might even have a team today that can get through services and just survive. But if I want them to thrive, if I want them to be better, I have to invest in them. Yes, you know. I've loved this conversation, Hans. You've been great. Uh, we're going to take one more quick break to thank our sponsors, and we're going to bust out a true speed round. Today's episode is brought to you by Chow Now, a commission free online ordering system and food ordering app helping restaurants feed their hungry customers. Over 20,000 restaurants trust Chow Now for their online ordering. This is because Chow Now helps restaurants keep their profits, own their online experience, meet their customers everywhere, and make every diner a regular. Here's how it works. Chow Now clients get listed on the free Chow Now marketplace. Once they're there, they can meet new customers and take unlimited commission-free orders through Chow Now's app and site. There is no setup fee or monthly payment. Now, this is what I really love about Chow Now. You get access to valuable customer data, which allows you to personalize the experience and the relationship with your guest. In other words, you own the relationship with your guests, something not all third-party ordering apps can claim. And we cannot wrap up this message without telling you about how to level up with Chow Now Direct. Chow Now Direct is Chow Now's comprehensive online online ordering and marketing package. With Chow Now Direct, you get your own branded ordering app for iPhone or Android, email and print marketing, plus POS integration and much more. 
Because you are Restaurant Unstoppable listeners, you can enjoy 30% off the Chow Now Direct Annual Plan. Sign up at www.chownow.com slash unstoppable. That's chownow.com slash unstoppable. Find out why past guests like Tender Greens and Kava are using PlayIQ for their accounts payable automation and expense management solution. Yes, you heard me right. PlayIQ now offers a new spend management feature, which allows you to issue virtual or physical cards directly with PlayIQ card. With PlayIQ card, there is no credit card check, no minimum balance, and no personal guarantee required. This feature is great for small restaurants who want to eliminate expense reporting for their employees, but cannot get a corporate credit card easily. And I've got to let you know that with play IQ card, you can get up to 1% cash back. That's pretty great. Now, I've told you what's new with Plate IQ, but you can't forget about all the other features you get with Plate IQ, like bill pay and incredible insights and approval of hierarchies. With bill pay, you can seamlessly flow from invoice upload to paying your bill, and this is all happening online, so no more paper checks. Plate IQ bill pay lets you see what's due when, and you can pay by check, ACH, or Play IQ card. Also with Play IQ bill pay, you can say goodbye to escrow. That's right. No more flow. In other words, no money leaves your account until it's received by the vendor. We've got to talk about Play IQ insights too, because I mean, insights are so important. There's insights to allow you to compare spend by item, vendor, time, period, and location. Man, I love some insights. You can even set alerts. For example, if a price goes outside your agreed contract terms, boom, you get an alert. And then lastly, there's Play IQ custom approval workflows. Only see the invoices you need to, no more duplications of efforts, and no more hunting down approvers. To learn more, head to www.playiq.com slash unstoppable. And when you use that link, save 25% off implementation. We're back. And the first question I have for you is what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? Perseverance. What is your biggest weakness? Too much detail. What is one of your biggest challenges today? Uh, uh, Time. How are you overcoming that? Meditation. What is one question you ask or thing you look for when you're building your team? Um, What do people misinterpret about you? What is one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team? A way to be, a way to act. Passionate. What is one book that's a must read to make a better person or restaurant operator? Traction by Gino Wickham. I skipped a question. Uh, what is one uncommon standard of service you teach your team? So, something that's common within the four walls of your restaurant, but not common throughout the industry. Um, guests need to be guided. Text messaging guests. Text messaging guests. <laughs> and guests need to be guided. What do you mean by that? Um, that w- servers are are not order takers. They are guides to an experience. I love that. And you mentioned uh, Traction by Gino. What's it? Uh, Wickman. Wickman. Thank you yeah. very much. Uh, and again, I, I we have the book club at Restaurant Stoppable. Um, I really want to go deeper into this book because admittedly, I did not implement all the lessons from the book. And I don't want to move on to the next book until 
I'm doing the things that I'm learning. Yeah. And if, if that sounds interesting to you, um, then come join the network. Uh, I'd love to have you be a part of that. Uh, what's one thing you feel restaurateurs don't do well enough or often enough? Um, respect, hear and respect their employees. What is one service you've hired or outsourced? Because you know you could never do it as good as this person could do it or this group of people could do it. Oh, um, that's a good question. I, I, you know, facility maintenance. Okay. Yeah. And do you know the name of the company you've outsourced? Um, well, I, I, I have a uh, in-house. I mean, we've, we've got a woman who, who does it, but uh, I rehired her. Uh, prior to that, it was A1 Specialist. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and what is one technology which you've recently adopted that's had a huge impact on um, communication, efficiency, uh, profitability, uh, user experience, anything along those lines? Um, I just love the development and the integration with uh, Toast and Open Table. Yeah. Yeah. Um, talk to us about that, what's going on with Toast and Open Table, that, those developments. I just, you know, they, they, they keep on raising their game, um, both companies. Uh, you know, uh, Open Table now has a feature where you can text um, them directly. Now, Resi had it for a long time. Open Table had to catch up, but um, uh, Open Table now has it. Toast, uh, just it, the back end is just so deep. And they're constantly updating us on on changes they're making. Um, I just I just love both of those platforms. Beautiful. Yeah. Uh, thank you very much. And this is the last question. Get ready for it. All right. If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be lost with your departure. You're not necessarily dying. Maybe a spaceship came. Okay. And they're taking you someplace really cool. <laughs> uh, but when you depart, there there's like you have to leave everything about you behind it with the exception of three pieces of wisdom that you could leave behind for the good of humanity and for your legacy. What would those three pieces of wisdom be? Oh, um, live in the moment, love hard and trust God. Awesome. I have loved this conversation, Hans. Uh, thank you so much. We wrap up every chat by calling somebody out. So who do you respect and admire in this industry, an owner that is just doing it right, that we could all learn from and have them share their story? Who is that? I think it's Donato Poto at Providence. Donato Poto, look out. Look, I'm coming after you. I'd love <laughs> to have you on the show. Uh, is that San Francisco? No, it's here in LA. It? Okay, yeah. maybe on the next trip. Yeah. We, we leave in a couple hours. Oh, uh, my God. Um, I'd love to get you on the show, and I just can't say thank you enough for sharing your story, for, for getting vulnerable, for showing us what true hospitality looks like. There is no questioning, my man. You are unstoppable. Oh, I appreciate that, Eric. I appreciate you. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you. There we go. Another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable Podcast. Thanks for joining us today. And if you enjoyed this episode, we do need your support. You can support our sponsors. You can use our affiliate links. You can share this podcast with everyone you know aspiring to be great in the restaurant industry. And you can come hang out in Restaurant Unstoppable Network. This week in the network, we're getting David 
Dressler back on the show. So David was one of the co-founders of Tender Greens. His episode just went live not that long ago. Well, now David serves as an advisor for Quiet Advisory, his newest company, where he basically teaches people how to scale businesses like he did with Tender Greens. And one of the things you have to do if you're going into a company, maybe you purchase a company or you're hired as a new director of operations or, or, or whatever, sometimes you get to break things down before you can build them up. So we're going to be talking about deconstructive creativity. So you have to go in and deconstruct whatever bad habits were in place, whatever bad systems were in place, whatever bad beliefs and culture was in place. We're going to go in there. You got to break that stuff down to rebuild. And we're going to be discussing that uh, on Tuesday at two 30 Eastern time. So if you want to be a part of that conversation, come join the network. And uh, if you can't afford the $30 a month to be in the network, but you really want to join this conversation, just shoot me an email, eric at restaurantstoppable.com. I'll get you a 30-day free pass to the network so you can be a part of the conversation because it's important to me that you guys are getting access to the information you need. And then I also want to let you know that uh, we recently had Christine Sismondo on the show. She was the author or is the author of America Walks Into a Bar. I don't know if you remember that episode. It was pretty good. She recommended that I check out Edward Slingerland's Drunk Uh, How we sipped, danced, and stumbled our way into civilization, which basically makes the argument that uh, alcohol uh, has a lot more to do with the world as we know it today, like really just forming civilization as we know it. And it's a really fascinating book. I want to let you know I'm reading that right now, and I want to have some discussion around this. So if you're interested in a book like this, a very anthropological approach to alcohol and drinking, uh, then come hang out in the network and be a part of the conversation because I'm loving this book. And I'm going to try to get Edward in the network as well to discuss it. So that's it for today. Thanks for sticking around this long. Until next time, peace out.